0: Good morning, ICP. You guys are probably thinking, is this really Vince? Like, there's no bow tie? Yeah, it's me. It's me. I guess, uh, you know, you guys have already worked in me. Brought me down. Uh, we're going to be in No, uh, no, no, not in a bad way. In a good way. In a good way. More casual. More casual. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. And uh, if you'd like to turn there... Uh, that would be great. Jonah chapter 3, um, recap where we are. Uh, Jonah has been called by the Lord to go to Nineveh and call out against them, right? Because of their sin. Their sin has come up before the Lord. And what did Jonah do? Do you guys remember? He, 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 went, he went to Nineveh, right? No? No, he went the other way, right? He took off. Bought a, bought a ticket to go to Tarshish. And um, as he's on the boat, what happened? The Lord hurled a great storm against the boat, almost uh, sunk the boat, almost killed all of the sailors and Jonah, right? Man, crazy storm, 50-year storm on the sea. And then uh, through all of this, Jonah is, is still like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. And he finally tells the sailors what? Throw me into the sea, and it will calm down for you. And then Jonah is sinking and sinking and sinking, and the Lord sends a big fish to save Jonah. And last week, we left off with Jonah finally repenting and seeing that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about the book of Jonah is how it functions in the Bible, okay? The the book of Jonah is kind of an indictment, okay? It's a charge, if you will, against the people of Israel, okay? Why is it a charge against them? Well, because their duty as the people of God, as the chosen people of God, was to bring the nations to the Lord, to worship Him, and they didn't. They looked at the nations around them as, well, they're a bunch of pagan idolatrous sinners. And they did not reach out to the nations. And Jonah is like a picture of Israel. God calls Jonah and says, go to these people. And Jonah's like, nope, uh uh Not going to do it. And then we see through the book how the Lord works on Jonah using these pagans and their obedience, if you will, to use Paul's terminology. Like we, we, Israel was called to bring about what? The obedience of faith in all the nations is what Paul says in Romans. And, and these pagan sailors, and now we're going to see this week, this pagan city responds to the Lord in repentance and in faith. And that is kind of like the Lord laying down charges to His people Israel. So today we're coming to Nineveh and their response. So let's read chapter 3 together here. This is God's holy word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go, To Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will give you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going about a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in Ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his Fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Lord, we pray now for your Spirit to do what only your Spirit can do. Change us, Lord. Open our eyes to see your truth. Open our hearts to experience your truth. Help us, Lord, to see Christ Glorious and lifted high through this passage from Jonah, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we jump into the text, think about this question. Where would you be shocked if grace and mercy showed up? Where would you be shocked if grace and mercy showed up? Where would you think, hey, hey, like, you know what? It's fine for mercy and grace to show up anywhere, but not there. Not there. Because we've all got a place there, right? We've all got an answer to that question. If we don't, please talk to me afterward, because I want to know your secrets. Our text today acts as as something of a shock to the system, a shock to the system for us. It comes on the heels of Jonah saying, salvation belongs to the Lord, and and today that salvation shows up in a shocking place. This text shows us that God's boundless grace and mercy shows up in the least expected place, or maybe place is it's not just one place. You see, the book of Jonah is about grace for them over there, them being those who are far off, not just grace for us. Jonah is about the pagan nations coming to the Lord and receiving mercy. Jonah is about extending grace out from and through Israel to A ruthless, pagan, idolatrous nation. And not just one, but really all of those around them. Grace not just for us, but for them. And we'll see this in three movements in our text today, okay? Jonah's recommissioning. The Ninevites repenting, and finally, God's relenting. And in each of these these movements, we're going to see that it's actually God who is moving. God who is doing something, and and we're seeing God in his moving, showing that his boundless grace and mercy show up in the least expected places. So let's go on into movement number one, Jonah recommissioned. Verses one through four again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we've got kind of a mirrored section here, right? Sounds very similar to chapter one if you remember, okay? This is the second half of the book, if you will. And and it's another part of the irony that Jonah presents to us here. And this recommissioning actually mirrors Jonah's sending in the first place. It's no accident. It's no accident. It would have actually driven home to Jonah his disobedience. The Lord coming and using the same words and saying, hey, arise. Go. Call out. Jonah would have been like, oh, oh, oh. Man, he just got beat up again, but not beat up by judgment, beat up by grace, beat up by mercy. He comes to him a second time. What grace of the Lord to come a second time and say, hey, hey, Jonah, Arise. Go, call out. How many times has the word of the Lord maybe come to you? How many times have we been disobedient to God's word or commands? You know, let's not sit here in judgment of Jonah saying like, man, he needed a second time. I wouldn't have needed a second time. No, you would have needed a second, maybe a third, maybe maybe 10 years worth. 10 years worth. Of God's word and command. And he was merciful. And gracious. To let it it keep coming. It's taken some of us far more than two times. To hear and obey the command of the Lord. What about you? How many times did God's word come to you? Before you obeyed. Well, Jonah finally obeys and he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's such a great picture. And, and, and as one who preaches, I love the promise that God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish that for which he sends it out. The first time he told Jonah, arise, go and call out. It's it's now being fruitful, along with the second time. God's word accomplishes what it was sent out for. And he says, arise and go, and Jonah goes according to the word of the Lord. And he goes with a message that God says, I will give to you. And what was that message? You know, because here's the thing, like, like you gotta think about Jonah and and in Jonah's mindset, okay? The Ninevites were a cruel, bloodthirsty, like they were a horrible people group, okay? Like I've got all kinds of examples I can give you of how horrible they were. We're not gonna get into that because it's like, ooh, whoa, that's that's bad. Okay? But but Jonah probably had a lot of things he wanted to say to them. That's why God says, give them the message that I will give to you. They needed a message from the Lord, not from Jonah. And that's what we need, actually, every day. Like, we need, we need God's word, not, not Vince's word. As much as I may have studied and been living in this passage, no, we need to hear from the Lord, just like Nineveh needed to. Just like Jonah needed to. Just like Israel needed to. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. That word there for overturned. You Nowhere know else that word shows up in scripture. It shows up when the Lord is talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Same word there. Their sin has come up before me. The sins of the Ninevites are so bad that the Lord uses the same verbiage that He used when He destroyed another city because of their sin. It doesn't mean that the type of sin was the same. It, it's more speaking about the magnitude and, and their hardness of heart and their, their, their like stance against the Lord. They wanted nothing to do with it. And while we don't see a conditional language here, when the Lord comes to a people and, and says, hey, I'm bringing judgment, there is a condition attached to it. If you repent... I won't bring judgment. I won't destroy you. Jonah knows this. That's why I didn't want to go. We'll see that next week. And we see by the king's response, he hoped that it was conditional. And Here's the crazy thing. While Jonah had a great many things to say to the Ninevites, he told them the message that the Lord had given him. And you know, in his mind, he's probably thinking, those, those idolatrous uh, worshipers of all of these other fake gods, like they don't, they don't need mercy or grace, but okay, I'll give them the message. And he failed to realize something about his own people. They had fallen into idolatry and sin as well. They were guilty of many of the same sins That the Ninevites were guilty of. And the Lord had mercy on His people Israel. And He didn't wipe them out. And He's going to offer that same mercy to the Ninevites. Just like He offered it to Jonah in the first place. Jonah has received mercy, but he's still not quite ready to be merciful John Piper says God answers us in mercy to make us merciful Jonah had received mercy in being saved from the sea by the fish but when mercy shows up again and the Lord recommissioning him to go there's still a little bit of I'll go I'll go I hope they don't repent God's boundless grace and mercy shows up in the least expected place. In this first movement, it shows up on Jonah being sent again to Nineveh, being recommissioned. But let, let's keep going and get to the second movement of this story uh, where Nineveh repents, starting in verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. All right, so we're going to get a little bit of background into who Nineveh was. Um, again, bloodthirsty and cruel. They did great evil against all of their enemies and in particular against Israel. They would often um, skin the leaders of their enemies alive and then drape their skins over the city walls as like a a message, don't mess with us. This is what happens if you go against us. You get skinned alive as all of your people are killed. Pretty Brutal people. Those that they didn't skin alive, they forced into slavery. And then they would would force a, a hook through their nose and lead them around in order to debase them. And show everyone around them that they were slaves. Evil. And engaged in nearly every sin you can imagine. That is why their sin had come up before the Lord. Because it was great And the people of Nineveh believed God. Didn't say they believed in God. Didn't say, oh yeah, sure, there's a God that's alive out there. No, they believed God. They believed what he said. They took him at his word. He said, hey, 40 days and it's over. And they were like, oh, uh uh-oh that's serious business we we better stop doing what we're doing and they, they they put on sackcloth it's a sign of of debasing yourself of humbling yourself of of repentance actually and repentance like we said last week it's not just a, a, a I mean it literally means change your mind but it's not just a changing of your mind it's a changing of your action it's a turning away from sin but a turning to god because here's the thing i can turn away from my sin and just go a different way into some other types of sin but no it's a turning away from sin and a turning to god that's what this shows here they believed god they didn't believe jonah They believed God and it showed in their actions. They called for a fast and they said, Hey, everyone, put on sackcloth. We all have to humble ourselves here. Not only the people, but their king as well. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and he went a step further. He sat in ashes. He humbled himself even more, the great and mighty king of Nineveh, whose very words were seen as the words of a God. Has now put on sackcloth and is sitting in a pile of ashes. And then he goes again and he's he's like, hey, by decree of the king and his nobles, no one eats, no one drinks. We're calling for a national fast. Everyone will be wearing sackcloth. Everyone will be humble and will not do anything that builds ourselves up. Why? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish it's crazy to read what they did because they feared no one they feared nothing they were powerful and cruel and they did what they wanted but God's boundless grace and mercy Showed up in the least expected place of Nineveh. Here it shows up on a wicked king and his wicked people repenting from the violence that was in their hands to the hope that the Lord will have mercy on them. So in the first movement, we've seen God's boundless grace and mercy show up in the least expected place of Jonah and recommissioning and rescinding him. Now it shows up on the king and the people of Nineveh. But there's one more movement in this this story, in this drama, if you will. And we're now going to move to that and see the Lord relenting. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them. And He Did not do it. That's grace. That is mercy. God relented. How is it that the holy God will relent of the disaster He said He would do to them over just some fasting and some calling out? There, there was no times of like walking in obedience, of walking rightly, of doing what John the Baptist said and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. No, they called out. They humbled themselves. And God relented. How? Well, Scripture in Joel 2.32 tells us, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They called out how mightily to the Lord. That's what the king said. He said, call out mightily. Who knows? Well, God knows. God's people know why. Because we have Scripture that tells us all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you may be wondering, okay, sure, but like, how? How can God actually relent? The answer's crazy. Totally crazy. Crazy. So in the ancient Near East, which is where uh, Israel is situated um, and, and, and where Nineveh was situated, there was this, this um, ceremony, okay, it, that was called the King Replacement Ceremony. And it's crazy, okay? So the Ninevites especially were into astrology. And they would look at the stars and say, oh, uh-oh, The king's going to die. There's a bad sign in the heavens. And so what would happen? Well, the king would take off his royal robes and he would get off of his throne and they would find a replacement. And the replacement would come and sit on the throne and he'd wear the royal robes and he'd have a queen and a, a large retinue of people that were his like holy court, right? And then at the end of a certain amount of time, they'd kill him. And that satisfied the bad omen for the king dying. The replacement king would die. There was a time frame for him of no more than 100 days. Some of the known replacements or substitutes were a prisoner of war, a death row inmate, a political opponent to the king. Could you imagine, like, you know, being... Someone who's running for office at the same time as the president, okay, it doesn't work one-to-one, okay? All analogies break down sooner or later. But like, you know, then they're like, oh, guess what? Bad sign in the sky. And you're like, oh, no, I hope they don't pick me. You're a political opponent. Hey, guess what? It's your turn to be president this week. No! And we look at that and we can laugh, right? Because it is a little bit funny. But it shows us something about ourselves, something about human nature. We need and are calling out for and we're searching for someone to stand in our place that would save us. This ancient pagan culture and civilization had it. They needed a savior. This king needed a savior. And the fact that he got off of his throne and he took off his royal robes shows he was stepping down as being king. And in a sense, someone else was going to step in and be king. Who was that? Who? God. Why? Because he said, we're going to call out mightily to God. Maybe he'll turn and relent. We need a savior too. We need a replacement king. In Jonah, we see this king stepping down and taking off his royal robes. We see he understood his need for a replacement. But it doesn't tell us who that replacement is. And in this place, we know who the replacement is, don't we? It's the true and rightful king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the high king of heaven, takes his rightful place, and he came and took our place, and he came. God passed over the sins of these wicked people. God passed over my wicked sins, your wicked sins, and he placed them on the shoulders of his beloved son, the replacement king, who would be slaughtered in the place of us who who put ourselves as this fake king on the throne. He took off his royal robes, humbled himself to being a man humbled himself to death, and then humbled himself not just to death, but death on a cross. He became a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The great king, the high king, the righteous and rightful king, He took our place. And He took the place of every Ninevite that we will be with in glory one day gathered around His throne worshiping Him. Every Ninevite who was truly saved and who truly repented. Because we know from history that Nineveh was destroyed. Judgment did come to them. But there are some. There is a remnant that will be gathered around this king who took their place. He's fulfilled the righteous requirements of God and he is the one who takes the wrath we deserve on to himself. See that is the gospel. Christ died for our sins and through him we have life. And when we step back and we look at the whole storyline of the Bible, we see that the right the replacement king is actually the rightful king. That the replacement king is the true king. And that That is grace and mercy. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need us. There was nothing in God that he said, oh, I I, I need these people. No, there was mercy and there was grace which caused him to give his son out of love in order to redeem us from our sins and reconcile us to himself. And these three movements, Jonah's recommissioning, his, uh, Nineveh's repenting, and God's relenting, all combine to show, once again, God's boundless grace and mercy show up in the least expected place. And the final place it shows up is for us and for those that we take the message that they will be overturned as well unless they call upon the name of the Lord in faith, that he will indeed relent. See, God can only relent for us and only relent for them because he did not relent for Christ. See, Jesus took the wrath. He took the calamity. He took the disaster that verse 10 points out. God relented from the disaster that He said He would do to them because He did not relent upon Christ. Christ took the disaster, took the calamity, took the wrath, took the judgment so that we could enjoy the opposite of those things so that we could enjoy grace, so that we could enjoy mercy. He took our place. He suffered our death. He suffered our curse. He gave us life when we deserved calamity and disaster and the curse. He became that curse. And in Him, we become the righteousness of God. See, God's boundless grace and mercy shows up in the least expected place, shows up in our mirrors. That's pretty crazy. And He relents when we call out in the name of Christ based on Christ's merit. And when we call out, oh, church, we have a greater hope than this king of Nineveh. See, He said, hey, who knows? Who knows? God may turn, may relent, may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, when we call out to God on the merits of Christ's sacrifice for sinners, we know that he does here and not only he hears us he hears the voice of our Savior calling out on our behalf we have a greater hope a certainty that scripture shows us the Christ those who call upon the name of the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved Peter even says that on the day of Pentecost do you know it do you believe it do you believe it You know, sometimes when a, when a preacher asks a question, it's a rhetorical one. That was an actual question. Do you believe it? I think you can do better. Do you believe it? Yes. We'll work on that. <laughs> we know that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved through Christ's death and resurrection. The resurrection is the proof. That we can be saved. So let us go. And take this message to those who need it. Take this message to those around you who don't know Jesus. Take this message. I think it's important sometimes that we not forget. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Oftentimes, we we try to make it more palatable, right? Well, there's nothing palatable about saying you're a sinner who deserves the wrath of God. But he sent his son to take that. Because here's the thing. What does Jesus tell us? My sheep know my voice. And they will hear his voice through that. They will hear that. They will hear through 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. They will hear the love and the grace and the mercy of their shepherd reaching out to them, coming to them, and saying, Come to me. Call out to me. I will turn and relent. Let's take that message to those who need to hear it. that God's boundless grace and mercy shows up in the least expected place. I just want to, I don't know if this is of the Lord or not, but I want to challenge you along with myself. That place that you answered earlier when I said, hey, where's where's the one place that you'd be like, yeah, no, not there, Lord. Pray to the Lord, see if he will change your mind and your heart. Because truth be told, it shouldn't have shown up here. It shouldn't have shown up here. But it did. The grace and the mercy, the boundless grace and mercy of the Lord showed up here. It could show up there. Maybe the Lord might even use you there. Maybe He'll use me wherever my answer is to that question. Again, that may not be of the Lord, but I feel it could be. So let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this picture of Your prophet Jonah. That we've been looking at. Thank you Lord that he is a picture of your boundless grace and mercy showing up in the least expected place. Help us Lord as we leave here to take that message to those that you've put in our lives. And Lord if there's one here today who does not know of your boundless grace and mercy. They've heard of it now. And Lord, we pray that you would grant repentance and faith that only you can give. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.